0: Entrepreneur on Fire 665. In need of some motivation, we've got you covered seven days a week. Join John Lee Dumas and today's Entrepreneur on Fire. 99 Designs has thousands of designers from all over the world ready to tackle your next design project. Visit 99designs.com/slash fire and get a $99 power pack of services. Free. Want to become a smarter snacker? Naturebox is always filled with wholesome ingredients and their products are nutritionist approved and sent right to your door. Visit naturebox.com slash fire and receive fifty percent off your first box. That's naturebox.com slash fire. Fire Nation, the countdown has commenced. John Lee Doom is here, and I am fired up to bring you our feature guest today, Seth Goldstein. Seth, are you prepared to ignite?
1: I am so prepared. I'm excited. <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me here on My Monday.
0: pleasure. For 20 years, Fire Nation, Seth has been a serial entrepreneur and angel investor. He recently wrote the definitive guide to Raising Money at thesecretofraisingmoney.com. Seth, I've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute. Tell us about you personally, because we want to get to know you, Seth, and then give us an overview of your business.
1: I'm 43. I started my first uh, company when I got out of college um, in uh, cd rom the multimedia in 1993. And then the internet hit uh, in 94, 95, and I was in New York, and I started one of the first online advertising companies called Site Specific, and we built some early Uh, websites and um, online advertising campaigns for brands like AT&T, Duracell, and Travelocity. And I sold that business in 1997 to a publicly traded company called CKS Group uh, that was based out here in California. And then from 98 to 2001, I was the first entrepreneur in residence at Flatiron Capital, uh, Flatiron Partners in New York City, Um, really one of the first pure internet venture capital firms. Uh, led by Fred Wilson, um, who has become a, um, a wonderful mentor of mine, and I think a mentor to a lot of people as one of the greatest um, venture capitalist investors, um, at least of our recent time, um, uh, having invested in companies like Twitter and Zynga most recently. So I got experience on both sides of the table pretty early um, as a 20-something entrepreneur and then as a, a venture capitalist and, um, since then, um, over the last 15 years, I have started, uh, and invested in, um, I started half dozen companies myself and I've invested in many, many more. And, um, you know, more recently I've wanted to bring that experience to bear for the benefit, mm-hmm. uh, of other entrepreneurs who may not have had his experience, um, Raising money from investors, from angels, from venture capitalists, and trying to give um, give something back to the community in terms of helping people understand what really goes on um, in the mind of investors when they're looking at an opportunity.
0: Well, Seth, I can tell you for Fire Nation, it is a huge question mark, which is why I'm really excited to be having you here today. I mean, you have written the definitive guide to raising money, and you're a venture capitalist with a lot of success angel investor galore. I mean, really excited to just kind of get into your brain and and figure out you know what these listeners, our listeners, Fire Nation, needs to do if they want to go in that direction. And so really excited to dive into that. But before we do, Seth, we always start Entrepreneur on Fire off with a success quote to really get that motivational ball rolling. So take it away.
1: There's so many of them. I I think one of the ones that um, I think I've been meditating on recently is just anything worth doing is worth doing badly. I think it was Chesterton uh, that said that, um, or some version of it. And um, I think it relates to any startup venture, it relates to any new product, which is um, you've really got to get it out there, and particularly in this day and age where the costs of launching a product and reaching people are so low compared to what they used to be it used to take millions of dollars to build a product and reach an audience for the first time. And now, you know, whether it's, um, a website or an app, um, at least in the technology space, um, you can build something and get feedback very, very quickly. And so there's really no reason to wait. I think one of the, the enemies of entrepreneurship is perfectionism, right? And you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good. So the question is, um, how quickly can you get something out that's good enough um Reid Hoffman, is a great entrepreneur and investor and founded uh, LinkedIn, <clears throat> had a great quote saying, um, if you're not embarrassed by your first beta, then you've waited too long.
0: <laughs> it's so true. And this applies to so many different aspects of life, Seth. I mean, I spent eight years as an Army officer, um, did a 13-month tour of duty in Iraq, and one thing that was hammered into my head over and over again was by this great general from the old days, Patton, where he said, listen, a good plan violently executed now is much better than a great plan executed next week. And it lies in the same lines for entrepreneurs. I mean, if you are going to wait until you have a great blog or a great app or a great podcast, you're never going to launch. And I never would have released Entrepreneur on Fire 663 episodes ago had I waited till I was a good host, till it was a good podcast, because I never would have got there. So I love that, Seth, for so many reasons. It applies to every entrepreneur and every stage of the game. And now let's turn the spotlight to you, Seth. And you know you've had incredible success, and we're going to dive into some specifics of that. But just like you said, you have experienced obstacles, challenges, failures. Tell us just one story, Seth, that you think will really resonate with our listeners of a time that you failed and the lessons you learned.
1: I helped co-found a company called uh, Turntable, Turntable FM, and. Um, many people know turntable from a few years ago when it launched with really no marketing or advertising. It went from zero to 500,000 people, um, you know, in an instant. And, um, back in, this was the summer of 2011 and, uh, it was the first sort of truly social real time music listening service. And, um, and we very quickly tried to, um, get it licensed by the major labels um, and when you're dealing with other people's content um, or you're dealing with somebody else's platform, um, it's just really hard as an entrepreneur to build a business on top of somebody else's existing business. And unfortunately that is the case, um, you know, not just in music when you're dealing with recorded music, but it you know, was the case with many entrepreneurs who are trying to build um, apps or products on top of Twitter or on top of Facebook um, actually a couple years before in 2009, I started a company called social media that built, um, social advertising on top of Facebook and it was all great until Facebook, uh, changed its policies in terms of giving third parties access to profile data to target ads. Um, and suddenly a $15 million a year business went to being a $4 million a year business. Um, and we weren't in control of our own destiny then. And similarly with Turntable, um we tried to do the right thing. And what happened is we um we got slowed down um by this platform of uh the rights holders. And instead of uh growing the audience internationally, we stopped international distribution so that we could get the label deals in place. And um all that momentum that we had early on um slowed to a halt. And even though uh, we were able to raise capital and we were able to get licensed in the United States, um, a lot of that um kind of initial magic momentum that you have at the beginning of a great new idea um came to a standstill. We never quite got it back. Um, Turntable had a couple of issues uh which doomed it. Um dealing with um labels and publishers. One was one of them. It was also a very, very engaging music service in a world where people like to engage with music sometimes, but the vast majority of time people just want to, as they say, set it and forget it. You just want to turn on the radio and listen to it. You don't want to have to interact with it or engage with it. Um, so some interesting lessons there. Um, it kind of brings up, um, another success quote or a failure quote, which is, um, there's nothing like numbers to ruin a good story. And so you have these, these two kind of quotes or aphorisms at different sides of the spectrum. On the one hand, as I said, um, anything worth doing is worth doing badly, but it's equally true that there's nothing like numbers to ruin a good story. So what do you do? You know, when, when do you, when do you launch? Because you typically only have one chance. Um, and you want to get it out there, and you want to get dirty, and you want to learn as you go, but at the same time, ironically, easiest to raise money when you haven't launched, right? When it's just a concept because, um, you know, the future is your oyster. You can tell whatever story you want because it's not going to be tempered by the reality of how you're actually doing it.
0: So Seth, I mean, those stories, those failures, I mean, that's what entrepreneurs just need to realize. That's part of the process. That's why when you can control your own destiny, own your own destiny, you want to. It's not always going to be possible, but to the extent that you can, you do want that. And and Seth, I just want to to flip to another story because you're such a good storyteller. I mean, you're taking us there and you're giving us these real examples, but this time let's go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about an aha moment, a light bulb that went off, where this time something just clicked and it worked. Share with us that story, Seth. And then, of course, how you took that idea and turned it into success.
1: The dot-com bubble had crashed you know, the year before uh, I had been a venture capitalist. It was a really sad time to be in the technology and interest, right. internet space. Um, I was involved with some really high-flying companies that you know, crashed and burned because I ran out of cash because the public markets had shut down. And, um, I was looking at actually going to business school. Um, and I had my application all done. I got accepted, um, I was going to go to Columbia where I went as an undergrad in New York. And, um, meanwhile, um, I was also a pathological entrepreneur. And so I had, uh, this idea for a, a new kind of research company called majestic research, that would take uh, internet data um, and interpret it for hedge funds. Because what I learned was the only people that were making money at the time were hedge funds because they knew how to bet on things going down. And it was fascinating to me because I only knew how to invest in things that were going up. Um, and uh, I remember at that period I was sort of debating whether or not to, to go to business school because I didn't think I'd have too many chances after that, I was getting a little bit long in the tooth, and um, at the same time, I had access to uh, uh, some databases, including ComScore, um, from uh, the investment that we had made at Flatiron, where I was looking at some really interesting research um, about user behavior across their million-person panel, and looking to correlate that with, for example, Amazon's revenue during the quarter, because these these companies can't say anything during the quarter except, you know, when they have their earnings call. And yet there's so much data bleeding out of the internet that helps you understand um, what people are doing online. And so if you're looking over the shoulder of enough people in terms of a panel, then maybe you can extrapolate from that. Um, how, for example, the revenue is trending for Amazon this month versus last month. So, to make a long story short, um, I started going and just networking among some funds in New York and showing them this uh, idea that I had. And uh, I walked in and said, "Okay, I'm going to you know offer this as a service for three thousand dollars a month." Um, I had no idea how to price it, but I figured, well, you know, it was a good. Uh, it was a good number. It made sense. Um, it was a good subscription uh, research business. I went to the first one and they said, "Great, we'll take it." And then next week, I, I found another fund through a friend and gave the dog and pony and gave the presentation. And then I quoted four thousand dollars and they agreed to it as well. <laughs> the third week, five thousand dollars they agreed to. It. And then I realized, like, maybe this was maybe this was something. Maybe you know, this was for that business in that moment for me an aha moment where I had to really choose between a safe bet of kind of pursuing an MBA um, and something that would just, you know, gnaw at me for many, many years if I didn't scratch it. And so I ended up um, starting Majestic. I, I deferred business school. I haven't gone to, I haven't gone back. Hopefully it's not too late. Um, maybe there's a senior citizen discount, but I can shoot <laughs> in a couple of years. Um, but I, I ended up building Majestic, and it, it became a, a really wonderful business. We By the end, we were doing uh, $35, $40 million a year. We had uh, 200 clients, mostly hedge funds, paying $200,000 a year. And we sold it in 2010 for uh, about $70, $75 million all in. Um, but it was that it was that moment for me early on where you know, it's so hard because you, you, you want to... You, you have to be confident. You have to be a believer in what you're doing. Um, but you also, you know, you can't drink the Kool-Aid too much. And so, divining, you know, signal from noise in terms of early success metrics, um, is, is so important.
0: I love that phrase signal from noise and it just really explains what so many people get caught up in that actual noise and they get caught up in that own Kool-Aid that they're brewing themselves but what are those signals really saying and so something I do kind of want to jump on because I'm curious if you still feel the same way you made the comment that you know should you take the safe bet and go to MBA school and me personally this is having been to law school never having been to MBA school but I'm just kind of wondering Would you still in today, 2014, consider that a safe bet, um, MBA school, or would you consider it more of a safe bet to, to start kind of gnashing your teeth on something right now in the entrepreneurial world, as opposed to spending a couple of years just studying? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Safe is, is is misguided. Um, I, I think when you're an entrepreneur, um, and you're in a startup mode, um, you're creating culture, you're creating routines, you're creating your own schedule constantly. You're creating um, an environment for for yourself and other people to succeed. And I always talk about how I think entrepreneurs and leaders in general um, have to be able to believe something before they see it. Right? You have this conviction, you have this image in your mind of a solution to a problem that's getting worse. And not everybody actually very few people probably see that solution because if they did, it would have already been solved. Right. And so you're, it, it is a little messianic and you're, it is, you know, quasi religious because you have to have that belief and that fervor. Um, and you know, you're, you're seeing into the future and you're, you're not just seeing into it. You're, you're, you're creating it as you go. Um, and that's what it's like being an entrepreneur. And when you go to school, whether it's an, for an MBA or for a law degree or for something else, um, you're deciding on something very different. You're, you're, you're giving into somebody else's schedule, you're giving into somebody else's curriculum, you're um, uh, kind of sublimating your, your own um, initiative and your own um, control to, um, to get somebody else's degree. Um, there are times that works really well for people, but I think, um, you know, for people who are, um, fundamentally entrepreneurs and need to, um, work in a environment that they create from scratch, um, you know, it's, maybe it's not about safe or unsafe. It's just about, you know, being able to breathe. A lot of people can't breathe in a, um, It's very hard to go back looking for somebody else once you look for yourself.
0: That is the truth, Seth. And you've made millions of choices throughout your life, as has every single listener, myself included. I mean, that's what we do as humans. We make choices every single minute of every single day. And your choices, Seth, have led you to this exact moment right here, right now. And on that note, share with Fire Nation the one thing that just has you most fired up right now.
1: Building something really special um, with this team that I have here in San Francisco uh, called Crossfader. Um, so, we've been working for about a year and a half now on um, kind of reimagining um, what music can be for a generation that is, you know, tweeting instead of blogging and for a generation that is, you know, going to Coachella and going to Burning Man and going to EEC instead of, you know, going to the record store and buying an album. Right. So, um, you know, we've been building now we're on version four, version five will ship in October. Crossfader is a DJ app. It allows anybody to DJ. It's like Instagram for music. Oh, cool. So anybody can use it to, um, DJ a party, um, DJ alone, DJ in a dorm room. Um, but you don't have to have fancy equipment. Um, you don't have to have hardware. Um, you don't have to have a desktop. You just have your iPhone. And so suddenly anybody can DJ, just like Instagram allowed anybody to become a photographer. Tumblr allowed anybody to become a blogger. And so we have people that are using it, you know, 10s of thousands of people every day are using it around the world a lot in Japan, most recently. Um, to create mashups. And then we also have a lean back experience where people can listen to a radio station made up of mashups being made by people all around. And so it's kind of like an electronic drum circle and it's wonderful. Um, It's something we all feel very, very passionately about. Um, It brings a lot of joy um, to the people that use it. And um, it's just something that's meaningful that we believe in and and, um, just has us all really fired up.
0: What I love about it is, let's be frank: the life of every party is the music, and if you're not going to have good music, the actual heart and soul of that party is going to wither away a little bit there. And it sounds like crossfade brings the heat or brings the fire It allows somebody to to be a star of that party by adding some value to it.
1: Huge, you know, dopamine lift Huge. when you know when when you're you know when you're using crossfader and you start to see people dancing to stuff that you're doing, right. it doesn't show up in traditional Google analytics. I mean, that feeling is something that is uh, very precious and very human. And I think it, um, there's a lot of services that we're seeing that are, being, that are very successful now that are using mobile technology to um, reinsert into everyday living or the real world. So people want to move away from their desktops. They want to move away from their screens, but they want the benefit of what technology is doing in terms of optimization, in terms of making things more transparent. So that's what Airbnb does in the physical world of people's apartments. It, it's what Uber does um, in terms of allowing us to get uh, into and out of cars easier. And we're trying to do this for parties. Like like you say, like everybody parties. Um, if you have you know people work to party, they don't party to work right? <laughs> And the reality is there's only so many clubs and there's only so many DJs, but everybody wants to, to dance and party and drink with friends whenever they can. And so we think we're building a platform that will enable this on a massive connected scale, not to take people away from the real world so that they're listening you know to their headphones, but to actually get them away from their headphones so they can re-experience what it's like to be with real people, you know, having fun dancing.
0: The point that you make Seth, that I think is so powerful that I really want to stay on for a second here is that if you can make somebody feel good about how you're making them feel good, you have something there. And for instance, you are able to make something, which is CrossFay, which is now making the people that use it well feel good when they see people dancing and they're enjoying the music that that person utilizing that app is doing. And, you know, another example of that is just last night. I got this new app like a week ago where I can just stick a pin into my steak. And then I say, Hey, Kate, how do you want your steak cooked? I'm horrible at barbecuing, but. How do you want your steak cooked? She's like, medium. I did my little iPhone app, set it to medium. The timer went off when the steak was medium, and I served her the best steak she's had in forever, and it made me feel amazing. You better believe I'm going to tell my friends about that, and I'm going to use it some more. It is an incredibly worthwhile app because of how it makes me feel.
1: I mean, so it's, a, it's such a great example of, to that app maker or to the Apple store, you just look like one download. Right. Right. They don't know the the level of joy and and the kind of emotional connection and the nutritional connection that you just forged (laughs) around that. Right. Um, And that I think that's what's missing in a world where all we look at are um, engagement and retention and click through rates and impressions and downloads. um, Some are worth more than others. Right. Some experiences that we have, not all clicks are equal. You know, not all downloads are equal. Not all sessions are equal and so i think it's really important um, not just to fall into the trap of okay you know um what are the metrics what are the analytics um what do i got to do to get you know to raise money but um to really focus in on on that sort of peak experience that that you and only you with your product or your vision can enable um and just go really deep there uh, there's a great um short essay that Paul Graham wrote a couple i think last year about Essentially like do things that don't scale. Yes. Like, you know, for, for startups, you know, that you I think Airbnb, you know, took pictures of you know, every you know, they went and took pictures of every single apartment themselves to make it look good. Right. Um, there are a lot of companies early on, the, the the ones that end up doing best are the ones that um somehow manage to maintain personality and quirkiness. You know, Zappos was wonderful at this. Right? There's, there's, there's just companies that, or even, you know, companies, you know, internet companies are just companies in your neighborhood that just do something that make it feel like they care a little bit more um, and they're not being ruled totally by the number crunchers.
0: Well, I love that, that all downloads are not equal because obviously my download was just a one click for that app. But now we're talking about it in front of a podcast that got downloaded 829,000 times last month. So that... Obviously, download of mine was a little more than just one, the power of it. So, Seth, we're about to enter the lightning rounds. But before we do, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors. I was chatting with a good friend of mine the other day about nutrition. He was convinced that in order to be in great shape, you had to focus most of your intention on your workout routine. I disagree with them, stating that I believe that 80% of staying in fit has to do with the types of foods you're putting into your body. To give an example, I brought up some of my old snacking habits, which included snacks with high fructose corn syrup and trans fats. Well, with the help of NatureBox, I've completely changed the way that I snack without forfeiting convenience or taste. Naturebox offers a variety of delicious snacks like the cranberry almond bites and the whole wheat figgy bars, delivered for free straight to your door. Plus, they have strict quality standards, which means no high fructose corn syrup, no partially hydrogenated oils, no trans fats, no artificial sweeteners, no artificial flavors, no artificial colors. Visit Naturebox.com slash fire to receive 50% off your first box, Fire Nation. That's Naturebox.com slash fire. Dedication, passion, and pride, three words that describe entrepreneurs, yes, and also soldiers. When you get both at once, sweetness follows, at least in the story we heard about Ryan Classy. At the age of 22, Ryan worked 10 to 12-hour days on Colorado Air Force Base, yet he still found time to create a new company. Classy Toffee during the late nights. The company creates fantastic tasting toffee and for every box he sells, Ryan ships a box to an American soldier stationed overseas absolutely free. Pretty inspiring, right? Ryan didn't have a ton of extra time or money to spend on design, but he was able to get a quality logo at a great price at 99designs. His logo makes a strong visual impact. For small business owners like Ryan, 99designs is the perfect design partner for everything from logo design to packaging. Ready to start your own success story? Visit 99designs.com slash fire and get a $99 power pack of services for free. Seth, welcome to the Lightning Rounds, where you get to share incredible resources and mind-blowing answers. What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur?
1: Nothing. I was my mother was an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur from from the from as long as I can remember. I was always always hustling. Um, I was always um, uh, you know thinking about. Um, business opportunities. I started selling kites when I was seven (laughs) years old in Cape Cod. I took my first, uh, went to startup camp, you know, for a week when I was, uh, in ninth grade. Um, and again, for me, it's, it's less of a choice and it's more of just uh, it's just part of my character, my personality. I, I love risk and I love to, um, I feel this, you know, it's almost artistic, this need to create something that doesn't exist.
0: Seth, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: One of my first investors in 1995, uh, he was uh, a CEO of a publicly traded company in Texas. Uh, He was a Vietnam vet. His name was Larry Franklin, and the company was Hart Hanks. And he had to be about 55, and I was probably 25. And I remember going with him to the... God, what was that hotel in Manhattan on Park Avenue and something... Um, the, uh, the Waldorf, of course. And um, and he said, Seth, delegate, don't abdicate. And um, it's something, uh, as an entrepreneur, I've, I've thought of and I've struggled with for many, many years, which is um, in order to scale an organization, you have to delegate. You have to create uh, an organization that's bigger than just you. But if you don't stay connected to the team, you just hand things over. Um, they're not going to know, they're not going to be able to read your mind. They're not going to do it the way that that you might have. So you have to stay engaged. You have to teach people. um, But that there is a difference between delegation and abdication. um, And it can be a very, very thin line.
0: Absolutely. Abdication to abandon, to relinquish, not the priority, Fire Nation. So Seth, share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success.
1: I've been painting a lot. And uh, it's something I've taken up relatively late in life. I was always interested in the arts and I was in theater when I was a kid. Uh, and My mother and my brother were um, wonderful artists. Um, they kind of, they were so good. They scared me away from doing it myself. Right. Um, but what I found is um, just the act of um, taking an hour um, using, you know, in my case, I'm using oil pastels and I can't do anything else. I can't. You know, I can't use my iPhone because I'll get oil paint all over it. Um, I've gotten good enough when I'm riding my, my road bike to, you know, to text that I, you know, that's no longer doing it for me the same way. <laughs> but now I have to do something with my hands. is so filthy and dirty that I just run the risk of ruining my entire phone. But it does two things. One is it, um, it's, it's, it's hugely engaging. Right. Um, I'm not connected. I'm not doing anything else. I'm just, you know, using these pigments, these colors on this canvas or or this paper. And, um, I finish something, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't paint over, you know, four weeks on one project. I'll do something in one night for an hour or, you know, in a morning. And, um, it's a wonderful feeling to just finish something that is for you. That's not for somebody else. Um, it's not something that I'll go and necessarily have to tweet about. Um, but that feeling of, you know, in a world where it's not really clear where things begin and where things end and everyone's, you know, calling at you and everybody wants you for so many different reasons that you can have some kind of artistic process that just allows you to complete something on your own terms, um, without alienating anybody else.
0: Seth, do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with that you can share with our listeners?
1: My Bluetooth speakers, I love these UE Boom, uh, the Logitech bought this company, UE Boom Bluetooth speakers. Um, I've used Jambox, I've used Bose, I've used, you know, all of them. I've used every single Bluetooth speaker you can imagine. Um, but these are really wonderful and they, they pair. And so you can have one of these cylinders and then you get another one and they pair and they create a huge amount of sound. And um, because of what I do with Crossfader and because of just the, the music is so important to me it's kind of like a party in my bag if not a party in my
0: pocket <laughs> I love that and Fire Nation you can find the links to this resource and everything we've been chatting about at com slash Seth Goldstein and Seth if you could recommend just one book for our listeners what would it be?
1: Uh, Strunk and White Elements of Style it remains like the definitive guide for writing and uh, in a world where you know we like to believe that it's so visual and so interactive and so multimedia. The reality is, um, people are not great writers and, and for whether you're working in medium or, um, Twitter or WordPress, um, knowing how to, um, to write tightly, elegantly, uh, to use fewer words, not, not more words. Um, I don't know why it came up, but I, I still go back to that book. <laughs>
0: Love it. Well, Fire Nation, I know that you love audio. So if you haven't already, you can get an amazing audiobook just like this one for free at eofirebook.com. That's eofirebook.com. And Seth, thank you for being just so open and honest with your journey with Fire Nation today. Can you just leave us with a parting piece of guidance, share the best way that we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye.
1: At Seth. So. You know, I guess I shared the name with uh, a lot of other great Seths out there, like Seth Rogan and Seth Godin and Seth McFarlane and, and many sets that I don't know. Um, but I am at Seth. That's the best way to follow me, to uh, reply to me. Um, I've been using um, Medium recently, which is a great um, published yes. platform. So if you go to medium.com slash at Seth, I'm there as well. I've been writing a lot about the future of music. And um, please try Crossfader. Uh, for your own good for your own enjoyment to kick you out of you know whatever doldrum you're in um, it's a wonderful 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 musical experience it's very creative um, but i think will uh, help everybody in the world
0: love it Seth and just give us that one parting piece of guidance you
1: know if you know exactly where you're going like why do it the joy is in the journey the joy is in figuring it out as you go and and as an entrepreneur to to come up with a big market that you care about and a solution that seems plausible. Um, and a team that you've, you've built real culture with. Um, if all you're doing is just executing like paint by numbers life's too short, do something else. Um, I think what's wonderful is is when you figure it out as you go and it's not so much about discovering it, it's about creating it and, and keep focused on the creative impulse and be willing to change things and be willing to create new routines and new rhythms. Um, that's my parting
0: advice. Well, Fire Nation, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and you've been hanging out with Seth and myself. So keep up the heat. And Seth, Fire Nation is well aware. They can find the links to everything that we've been chatting about at eofire.com. Just type Seth in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up at Seth. Crossfader, the app fire nation go check those out follow seth it's very worthwhile and seth thank you for being so incredibly generous with your time your expertise and experience fire nation salutes you and we'll catch you on the flip side
1: thanks so much john have a good day fire
0: nation Podcasting is exploding in 2014, and I share with you the number one reason why and how podcasting can help your business explode its demographic and grow your audience. Join me for our free live podcast workshop every week at podcastersparadise.com.